You are listening to the acclaimed Professional by Choice podcast that is going to prepare you for the competitive professional world. Just like any sport, being a professional takes time, effort, practice, and commitment. With rigorous training and focus, you will know what it takes to be a professional. And now presenting your host, Hailing from East Chicago, Indiana, the man, the Marine, the legend, the all-knowing master of the professional routine, Chris Molina. All right, today on the PBC podcast, our guest is Fred Stubeck, Jr. And Fred has a pretty interesting resume. His background includes a sports background at the collegiate level, has a military background in the U.S. Navy, and he also has a business background, both public and private, as well as having started up his own company and sold it. And he's also an author of the book, It Starts With You, Turning Your Goals Into Success. Fred, welcome to the PBC podcast today. Chris, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, before we get into the topic that I absolutely love, which is leadership, and I'm happy that you're here with us today, I just want to ask you, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, here in Knoxville, Tennessee, it's unbelievably, it's snowing, uh, which is, doesn't do too much down here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to 2020. I thought the Super Bowl was very entertaining. I was particularly happy to see Andy Reid finally come away with the ring because I have a lot of respect for that man. And so do the players. You know, you might not like this uh, and some of the listeners might not if they're a football fan, but I personally have always been a Dallas Cowboys fan. And so having watched the NFC East so closely, there was a time where I was pretty okay with Andy Reid losing, but I was equally as happy with, with him finally getting his ring with, especially with his reputation among players and other coaches, because I think that says a lot about a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned an interesting point about the Dallas Cowboys. Expectations were very high this season, and they Mm -hmm. have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. But as you know, as you've seen, it's just because you have a group of talented individuals doesn't mean you're going to work effectively as a team. Absolutely. And um, I think I could talk about uh, the Dallas Cowboys and my thoughts on their problems for a good while, because especially in regards to leadership, because I think it all starts at the top. And the owner and GM, he's really good at spotting talent, but uh, I think he needs some work on being a little bit more hands off. But that's that's probably for another podcast. Yes, sir. Um, So I mentioned that you had a book starts with you turning your goals into success. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Uh, success, like anything else, is a number of things, uh, you know, your, your mindset, your habits, uh, and so forth. And when I decided to write a book, I decided to write something on success, but I wanted to take a little bit of a different approach. Because if you read many of the success books out there, how many of them have really told you what is it you have to do to be successful and how do you be successful? And has anybody ever put together a comprehensive plan that addresses the full range of issues? You know, for example, as I said earlier, success is not one-dimensional. It entails a number of issues. And the absence uh, of one or the weakness in another area will absolutely impact your ability to reach your full potential. So this book, which several people refer to as a life coach in print, I believe is unique and novel in that it comprehensively and specifically addresses the range of issues for what 
someone needs to do to be successful and fulfilled by really going into three things. What is important, why it's important, and how you do something about it. I put the book together in such a manner that each chapter builds on the previous one. Mm-hmm. And I think you would, if you've taken a look at it or, if you ever, or, or never I you do, uh, I think you would probably see the military background in the layout because it's very specific. So I have it put together so it could be used ongoing as a, of a reference manual for somebody who's going through whatever circumstances. For example, if someone is going through a pretty tough time, they can refer to the chapter on adversity. If someone sure. wants to develop discipline, I have some guidelines on how to develop discipline, just things like that. But it's, uh, it's very specific and so far, it's going, it's going real well. Mm-hmm. It's being used at a number of schools and universities for, you know, training. It's being incorporated into the curriculum. There are a couple NFL coaches that, that have it on their desk in their office. Sure. And the, the Navy football team, every graduating senior gets one each year. That is fantastic. I, I believe it's a very different book in that respect. And, and, and the reviews and the input I've, getting, I've gotten from many people have reinforced that notion. Sure. And I would say that um, both of us having books in the self-help category, we both noticed the exact same thing, that there's a plethora of self-help books out there. And it's hard to differentiate yourself. And one thing that I can appreciate about people with a military background is the writing seems to always be very direct and feels like somebody's actually talking to me. Whereas some other times, if you just pick up a random book, in the self-help category, it might sound like somebody's trying to teach you something as if it were a textbook and something very lofty. And I'm not a big fan of that. So I will say that I, I do appreciate that about your book. Yes. And, you know, if you look at it, one of the things I talk about is discipline because you can be motivated, but you're not always going to be motivated. So you have to be disciplined. And, and I think that is, a, that, that is not only a desirable trait, it's mandatory for someone to be successful in whatever endeavor you wish to pursue. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's one of the things that has helped both you and I and anyone that's been in the military, because that discipline is a transferable skill that goes with you in whatever you do. And it extends in both your personal and professional life. I mean, it's great to have goals and hopes and dreams, but unless you have a system or a process in place and execute it, you're not going to get there. And that discipline will give you the ability to remain steadfast and resolute. And it gives you also the courage to face your fears when you have to get outside of your comfort zone. Because mm-hmm. as you know, Chris, no discomfort equals no growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a point that I saw in my college career because I left the Marine Corps after seven years of active duty and then went straight to Purdue University. And I was very involved on campus. So I was emceeing an event and the dean of our business school went up to go speak and I had interacted with him various times. And so he complimented me whenever he went up there and uh, he used two words to describe me that I always remember. And he said, the two words that come to mind are steady resolve. That is something that I think many of our military members have because you really don't have a choice (laughs) in the military, unless you want to end up in the brig, (laughs) you have to wake up every single day and you have to give your all. So that is something that is ingrained in you 
as soon as you get into the military, and especially for people that went straight out of high school or straight out of college, your your mind is so impressionable at that point that the things that you learn are deeply ingrained. And if you have that level of discipline, whenever you have a goal and you set your mind to it, there's no if. There should be some plan Bs, especially if you're supporting a family. But there's no real thought of, well, just in case this doesn't go well, I might do this. It's just full steam ahead. (laughs) And uh, I'm not taking no for an answer. Yes. And, you know, that's one of the things, I mean, I think sports and the military are very similar in that regard because there's a lot of, you drill and you practice day in and day out. And, 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 you know, in my book, I talk about success is having the right mindset and, and habits and being able to overcome adversity and work together as a team and, you know, all of those things. And if you look at it, whether it's your personal life or your professional life, there, there's a routine associated with everything. And, and what you do day in and day out reinforce your plans and, you know, you train the mind and the, and the body will follow you. So you need, you need mm-hmm. to train yourself and condition yourself so you have the right process in place to, to execute. And all the time you're working with someone else and in the militaries, you know, you work together as a team. And you mentioned plan B. I mean, that was one of the things that I've always been a big believer in. You can call it what if or contingency planning or plan mm-hmm. B. But as you know, Chris, things don't always go the way that you hope they will. Yep. A good plan I, never survives first contact. Oh, I remember reading a quote one time. I, th- I think her name was Netflix did a documentary on Elizabeth Holmes or something like that. She had this blood thing, okay. blood test out in, out in California. And it was, you know, it was a big it was it was not very straight up in terms of what she did, but I remember a quote that she made one time at it. She said, "Anytime you have a plan B, you're admitting failure." Hmm. When when I read that, I said, "This company's doomed." Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know anything that I've ever gone into that's gone exactly the way I wanted to, and sure. neither did you. So I mean how much you have to diverge off that plan and adapt and change course and recover. It, it, it depends on the circumstances and the environment, mm-hmm. but you always have to be able to react and, and be prepared and have a plan in place just in case. And you mentioned, you know, you have a family, Chris, mm-hmm. congratulations on Thank your you. first one there. And you know, that's a responsibility. And I think that's one of the things that helps people be successful if they're put together right. When I say, what what does that mean? Well, a lot of it's about accountability. And see, I'm accountable for me. I'm accountable to my family and responsible for my family. And that gives me an incentive to do what I need to do because I don't take that lightly. And I think that same ethos also is there in the military, as you know, and there, there isn't a tighter knit fighting unit on this planet mm-hmm. than the U.S. Marine Corps. And as right. you know, Chris, once a Marine, always a Marine. There's no such thing as an ex-Marine, is there? Absolutely. There is not. The, the Marine Corps does a really good job of taking that civilian out of you in boot camp and replacing that with uh, a basically trained Marine. And they can never really take that Marine out and put the civilian back in. Yes, they, 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 they do. But uh, I've always been really amazed and very, very uh, 
respectful about how the uh, Marines take care of their own. I mean, they really do have that esprit de corps and they take care of their own and they, they, they go that extra step. Absolutely. And so I think that's a really awesome segue into what we want to talk about today because a lot of the leadership that that I lean on and I've used is based and rooted in Marine Corps leadership. And so today we want to talk about leadership and not just because it's my favorite topic, but also like we spoke before we started this podcast, um, I believe it's one of the topics of your future books, correct? Correct. My third book, which comes out in December, is going to be uh, focusing on leadership. Awesome. Now, I, don't ha- I don't have a title yet. Sure. I was, working title is called Crucible of Leadership. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was kind of a neat title, sure. but then a few people immediately made the remark, well, most people aren't going to know what a crucible is, <laughs> which is, you know, which is a good point. So I, it's just a, it's a working title. Sure. Uh, for, example, for example, the book that I have out right now, it starts with you. Uh, the working title was fragments because I, it was fragments of, of, of things that you do that you okay. put together, to give you that entire mosaic. But, but a lot of people thought that was just a bit too esoteric, if you will. <laughs> yep. And, uh, being a fellow author, I, I shared that uh, um, understanding that journey of finding the title that is perfect for your book because I'm right there with you. I had a ton of titles before I, I settled on. Um, I'm in a leadership role now. What? So I'm right there with you. But I want to start off with the question that a lot of people ask me that makes me smirk whenever they ask it because I feel like I should have a well thought out textbook answer to this question. But generally, I don't because I think I like to be a bit flexible and speak to the audience that I'm speaking to. So my answers aren't always the same, but the question is, what is your definition of leadership? In the book, and this is just Fred Stubeck's definition, and mm-hmm. there are many variations thereof, but it, I, I say leading a group of people together in a cohesive and effective manner to accomplish a specific purpose. Okay. And it's really about also making others better as a result of your presence as well and empowering others and and, and trusting them and and developing them. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, that's why I get frustrated because if I tried to detail everything that I would use to define leadership, then I think I would have a paragraph of a definition (laughs) because I also think it deals with what you said, growing and developing those people that are around you. And it's not just leading a team to me, because I think whenever that phrase is thrown out there, that also means that leadership is only for the person at the top, which I think is, is, is not accurate. It's everybody benefits from having good leadership skills. It's the same way that we look at uh, electrolytes and water. That's not just for athletes. That's good for everybody. And I mean, I, I think I could keep going, but uh, my definition generally is, I think what you're saying, but I I think I just try to use one word because <laughs> I talk to college students a lot. And I, I think if I put too many words out there, then uh, they might stop listening. But leadership is influence to me. And mm-hmm. that's it. If, if you are influencing those people around you, then you have some leadership in you. I really do like your definition, though, because it talks about teams. And I think that is a huge thing in leadership because I think, the unfortunate reality is that whenever people think about leadership, they think about that person at the top. And it, there's not that much thought about it being a team. 
and not just you looking down barking orders. Does that make sense? Yes, it, yes, it does. And, you know, if you look at leadership and, you know, the basic principles, uh, I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of terms out there right now. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a servant leadership, transformational, transactional, there's uh, charisma, there's this, there's that. But, mm-hmm. you know, my views are that the basic principles really haven't changed. You know, you know there are many, there are a lot of books out there and they have all these buzzwords, but in my opinion, they're simply variations of the same themes and principles, which have been learned and practiced throughout the centuries. You know, whether it was in ancient Greece or Rome or London, Peking or colonial Boston, mm-hmm. I think the basic principles have always been constant and, and timeless. And, you know, granted, of course, there are nuances uh, and adjustments that have to be made due to changes in society. But Alexander the Great also had that challenge because he sure. had a very diverse uh, military force with him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, you, if your basics are sound, you can deal with the complexities, providing you have the requisite qualities to be an effective leader. Absolutely. And so you're well-researched in this realm. You've also been around many, many more leaders than I have with your, with your, your own diverse background. Uh, what would you say are a few common denominators when you think about the effective leaders that you've known over the years? I think that the effective leaders understand the difference between positional authority and personal authority. Okay. For example, you, you, know, you should not lead by virtue of your position uh, to be an effective leader. If, if they lead principally by just giving orders and, and this is the way you have to do it. You know, I think they're, they're failing. So an, an effective leader understands that there are, you know, a number of things that they, that they have to do to be an effective leader. They have to be a good communicator. They have to be able to inspire people. They have to have the integrity. They have to walk the talk, so to speak. Sure. It, it always used to gall me when I would see, everybody saying one thing and they would hold their team to this standard <laughs> and they would operate in a completely different way because they always felt that there were, you know, there were two different ways of going ab- about things. And I, I think that you have a higher calling and really should hold yourself to a higher standard. And also a good leader understood the benefit of developing a team and spending that time together and getting to know everyone. You know, as you know, Chris, when you're, there is not one primary leadership style Mm -hmm. that works because if you have a a, a unit, you know, a squad of 10 or a company of 200, or you have, you know, 43 on the football team, every person is different and every person responds to a different leadership style. So an effective leader is going to understand what motivates that person because what you say one thing to this to this person it could inspire them and motivate them but at the same time it could be demoralizing to the other person so you have to have the appropriate emotional quotient to be able to recognize that and adapt your approach to the individuals on the team and at the same time you have to be adaptable and you have to have the courage to make good decisions and, and to make tough decisions and, and to be accountable for them. 
And at the same time, you're looking for, you're not looking for blame. You're looking for solutions. Okay. Sure. But, yeah. And one, one of the things I've seen with a, uh, I, I think a lot of the effective leaders I've seen too have been very self-secure. Uh, they've been willing to take suggestions and, and, and criticism, if you will. They've mm -hmm. been transparent. And when a commitment is made, it's honored. And so they have that integrity. Sure. And so you spoke about a couple of things, not, not hiding behind your title, I think was the first thing. Yes. Um, being a good communicator. And then you touched on something that I definitely want to ask you to elaborate a little bit more on because I think it's very important. And that's the self-secure part. How do people get there? Because I think that is something that is very difficult to, to leave your ego behind, to be extremely self-aware. That is very important, but I don't know that there's that much being taught in the world of, about how to get there. How do you think that we get there as leaders? Well, that's, you know, that's a good question. And, and I don't think I've ever been asked that question before on a podcast. And I've, <laughs> I've done several dozen, dozen podcasts, but it's a very good question, Chris. And, you know, I would say the first thing, and I'm just off the top of my head, sure. you have to be able to follow before you can lead. Sure. So you have to be around someone that sets the example so that you can observe and learn. And as a result, you are put into these experiences where you also have to make decisions and you're held accountable. And if you are successful, fine. If you're not, here's what you did wrong. You have to be able to accept that criticism and move on. I think over time, if you're in that type of environment where you have failed, because mm -hmm. the the only way you can grow is by getting out of that comfort zone. Sure. And you have been through the uh, the adverse circumstances. You know, as, as JFK used to say, you have to turn scars into stars. Sure. And I and I think by by being forged in that way, you develop that strength of purpose, strength of conviction, and that courage to, to move forward. And, you know, knowing that you've been through it before, you know, and you'll go through it again. And, and at the same time, probably the most important thing in terms of being secure is to have that belief in what you were doing and that belief in yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and when I say belief in what you're doing, I mean, for example, you, you went into the Marine Corps because you believed in the Marines and the military and the mission mm -hmm. and their approach. So that made it easier for you to operate and for the core to shape you, help you grow and get you to the point where you are today. Mm -hmm. By the same token, you also got that training. Okay. Because that belief is two things. There's a belief in the mission, but there's a belief in, in yourself. Sure. I mean, how, how many times have you gone into a, meeting and said, I think this is going to work out and, and you're, you've prepared and you're, you're ready to go. And if you know, it probably will, but if it, if it doesn't, you'll learn some lessons, you move on. Mm -hmm. But if you go into a meeting or whatever you're doing and you have doubts about something, chances are that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So sure. you have to train yourself and, and be prepared. And I think that's, that's very important because yeah. With that, with that background, you have that, you have that confidence 
and the, the courage to, you know, make those tough decisions, uh, to, to, to stand alone, but at the same time, you have the, the compassion to listen to other people, uh, <laughs> and your integrity, you have the integrity of your, uh, and strength of your conviction. Absolutely. And uh, sorry, I was laughing because we both can hear uh, my daughter in the background. Sounds like she's awake. <laughs> well, family, family is, is very important. And that's who you're accountable to, Chris, right? And that motivates you to get up every day, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And to, to keep doing what I'm doing. And I think the way that you put it, to, to remove your ego, to be self-secure, that's really important. And it's also important to walk that tightrope because it's, it's a very thin line between being self-secure and having a high level of self-awareness and then being an egomaniac and, and thinking that everything that you do is not wrong. Your, your stuff doesn't stink, so to speak. For example, Chris, I mean, I think a good example is sports. Sure. You, have, you play, I mean, you know, most of our games, I think exception of one was on a Friday night, but they were always on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So on, on Sunday would be, watching the film and then you know would have team meetings then we break down into position mm-hmm. meetings and would review the film again mm-hmm. and the focus wasn't on great job fred or this is really good the focus on was on what you did wrong okay what mistake you made and how you need to improve on that performance okay mm-hmm. so it's you you look okay you learn and you you adapt you know, as a result, I guess you could say early on, I was very, I guess you could say sensitized or, or desensitized, if you will, mm-hmm. to taking that constructive criticism, sure, that feedback taking it in the right manner. And, and they do the same thing in the military. Mm-hmm. They tell you what you did wrong. And then you go back and you do it, and you do it, and you do it. And then once you get that done, they give you another challenge. But you have to be secure enough to, to accept that criticism, and at the same time, once you get into a leadership position, you also have to be secure enough and confident enough to give that criticism, but do it in the right way so that it's taken, you know, in, in the right vein, and and then you need to follow up and, and make sure that uh, that there's accountability. Sure. So, sure. It, you know, and for example, when you wrote the when when you wrote this book, Chris, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I would dare say you did the same thing I did. And what did I, what did I do? What was the first thing I did when I wrote my first book? I spent all, I spent a lot of time Googling what, <laughs> what, what mistakes do first time authors make? Sure. Okay. You're absolutely right because there, there are pitfalls that I didn't want to fall into. There are roadblocks that I wanted to avoid. Like I didn't want to go down a path and then figure out that I've been doing it the wrong way or something like that. And I'm sure that's where your mind went to as well. Yes, it did. And this reminds me of a conversation I had with my high school coach one time. And I, I mentioned this in the book. We had a big game come up and all week I, I could do nothing right. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I was getting yelled at, you know, I wasn't releasing the ball. I wasn't picking up quick enough. I wasn't finding the right receiver. I mean, it was just, I couldn't do anything right. But finally, I, I, I walked up to the coach. I said, dad, why are you on me so much? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> He looked at me. He said, you shouldn't worry about me yelling. You should worry about when I stop because that means then I no longer care. And I'll mm. always remember that conversation. And so I, I think, I think that having that confidence, Chris, is something that is 
developed over time through your range of experience. Sure. For example, if you've been, you know, I don't know what your background was, but if you were brought up and uh, were always told you're special, <laughs> you, got, you, got, you got trophies just for showing up, okay, and we're always on a pedestal, so to speak. Sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's all fine and good, but as soon as you get out somewhere and you receive that, those critical comments mm-hmm. or somebody's you're seeing is they're being, in, you know, they're being insensitive or they're being disrespectful. I don't have to take that. Well, you know, yes, you do have to take it because, mm-hmm. you know, life, life is, is, is tough at times and there's give and take and you have to be able to not only give, give suggestions or criticism, but you have to be able to take it sure. and you have to be secure enough to just take the good part. And, you know, I always say, take it, professionally don't take it personally mm-hmm. now that's that's hard for some people to do but over time you'll get there sure yeah and so uh, everything that you just said kind of re- it reminded me of something and i, I want to get your take on it so recently i've had this this thought rattling around in my mind after hearing some people talk about leadership and the conversations that i heard were basically talking about finding your leadership style which you you shortly touched on earlier in this interview um, which I do think is important, but the way that they talked about it was, how do I say this? The tone was very static. It was very fixed. And it was as if it were beneficial to the leader to act a certain way in every situation. And that didn't sit well with me because I think good leadership is flexible. Uh, I'm curious about what your thoughts are on that, if I'm off base or not. No, you are spot on. And I think that is one of the Achilles heels of leadership training, leadership development, or maybe you just say leader development. Sure. Because, you know, everybody has a primary style of leadership. However, you know, the effective leader understands that every person and every circumstance is going to require a different approach. So an effective leader is adaptable and, and he or she is able to pivot and change styles as different scenarios and circumstances uh, d- dictate. Sure. And you, you have to have the awareness and the courage to make those decisions, and you have to pick up on that. Now, there are, you know, there are basic principles that you follow, but you have to be, you have to be adapt, and you have to continually vary your approach. And I think that is even more important today with such a diverse workforce. Mm-hmm. For example, you're just as likely to be working with someone in another time zone or another country or of a different ethnic background. So you just can't say this leadership style is going to work for this team. Sure. It's not. Absolutely. And I, and I think that um, especially having just spoken at the National Conference for the Student Veterans of America and having been around so many student veterans, I think that that is something that is very important to speak to whenever we're talking about veterans coming back and integrating because you know just as well as I do that transition from the military to civilian world, that's very difficult. And one thing that I think that student veterans have that is very useful is being thrown into the most diverse working group in the world because 
there was not any main demographic in any unit that I was ever in. It was completely mixed. I'm curious because before we started this interview, you and I also were talking about our differences and just generations of being in the military because you were um, in the military at a time where for younger Americans, it would seem crazy, but the, the American military was not revered. They were not, there was not a bunch of people welcoming you and thanking you for your service everywhere you went. It was much different. So do you still have that same mindset in regards to the military being able to give you experience in working in a diverse um, environment? Well, absolutely. I mean, I remember the first group of people that I got together with in our company. I mean, they were from all over the country Mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we quickly, you know, learned that we're either going to, you know, we're going to work together as a team and, and succeed or we're going to fail, but it has to be as one. And to me, you know, with my time in the military and, and also in sports, I always saw that as an equal employment opportunity. In other words, I didn't care about where the person was from. I didn't care about, skin color, ethnic background, whatever. We were all just working together as a team, you know, to, to get something done. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the experiences that I had when I was in the military also just helped me to, you know, it strengthened my resolve. To me, it was very, I, I don't know, that was kind of ironic that, you know, people were getting after us and we used to go out in uniform and you know, we have to travel in groups because we were being accosted on the street because sure. you know, the war was going on in you know, Vietnam and all that. But you know, once you had a chance to sit down with them, I remember one time I was involved in a very tense situation. And so I said, look, let me buy you, let me buy you all a drink. I said, I just want to explain one thing to you. Mm-hmm. I said, do you, do you realize that we don't control ourselves? Then they go, what do you mean? I said, the military is commanded by the civilian branch of the government. The mm-hmm. civilian branch of the government is elected by the people, by you. So if you don't like what's going on, you need to change your vote mm-hmm. or change the process and come up with a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. But right now we're just serving our commander in chief and we're serving the country because that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because those types of conversations also to me, enabled me to look at the other person's point of view, but also try to explain my position to them. Sure. So anytime you're involved in a situation, you have to look at it from your perspective and the other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have the, the courage and the strength of conviction to articulate those views, you know, more often than not communication and understanding is going to get you a lot further than just trying to stonewall something and just saying it's my way or the highway. So mm-hmm. you have to be aware, you have to adapt, and you have to be able to empathize with the other people and explain your position. Yep. And I think that's a fantastic leadership principle to talk about as well as communication, because that's one thing that frustrates me whenever I do see some of this uh, leadership development or leadership training is that there isn't as much talk about effective communication as I would like to see, because I think that's where it all begins. You could know how to be an effective leader and read all the books, but if you can't effectively communicate with those around you, then none of that matters. 
Do you agree with that? And do you have any communication tips for leaders out there? Well, first of all, I think with when, when it comes to communication, the leader has absolutely has to be able to articulate their views in a clear manner so that everyone understands the strategy and their role. Mm-hmm. And they also, they have to have a presence and understand there's also verbal communication, but there's also nonverbal communication. So sure. it's not only what you say, but it's how you act. Okay. And as you know, most communication is nonverbal. So getting out, facilitating Mm -hmm. two-way communication, being transparent and getting that feedback is, is, is very important. But one of the things that I always tried to do was number one is, okay, here's what we're going to do. You explain it. And then you decide, you take all the input that you can and you give everybody a chance to have their say and, you know, you respect that process because you want everybody to have a say. Absolutely. You, have to be, you have to be cognizant of the person that's trying to, you know, exert their will on the, on the group uh, and, 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 you know, maybe has a different agenda. And you have to be a neutral thinker. When I say neutral thinker, you have to be very objective. You have to look at the plan or you have to look at the situation in a very uh, – objective manner. And I think the military is, is very good at, at that because we were always very mission focused. So for me, it was about the mission. It's about what is everybody's role. Okay. And mm-hmm. then what is expected and who's accountable. And then we would make it very clear and then we would follow up. But I think that is one of the problems that I think a lot of leaders have is they don't exactly communicate precisely what is expected and also the other person may not know what his or her role is and also what their authority is okay are they empowered okay if the leader is one of these persons that just you know is is as a micromanager that's not going to work and then the other thing that comes into play chris is consistency the leader has to be consistent in terms of how they react and and treat the situation. If they're kind of schizophrenic and, and doing one thing and saying uh, saying another or, or vice versa, it, it's very confusing to the team and it's de- demoralizing. So there has to be a, a sense of consistency and you have to get into that right rhythm so that your team understands that. And that really helps the team work effectively together. But if I were to sum it up, I would say articulation, awareness, consistency, and empowering the team and everybody know exactly what is expected of them. And then later on, if things don't work out or you need to find a different solution or whatever, shooting messengers doesn't work, Chris, as you know. Yeah. Okay, you, you know, what you do is you find solutions. And, you know, when someone comes up, one of the things I used to always do is no one was ever allowed to come to me with a problem. Now, that may sound kind of bizarre. <laughs> okay. But – they were, but it, every problem has a recommendation. Sure. So that was one of the things that I, that I, I thought was pretty effective because, you know, if you're just talking about a problem, you're whining. So mm-hmm. everybody that I ever work with would come up to me and say, Fred or Lieutenant Stuvek or Mr. Stuvek, whatever, this is what the issue is and this is what I think we need to do. And then we'd talk about it, and then we would move forward. 
Yeah. Now, what would happen was at that point, I made it very clear that we as a team or as a group, you may not get unanimity. And, you, you know, most of the time you don't, but you're going to get a majority mm-hmm. or a consensus. And sure. so everybody has to move together in lockstep. Yep. And, and everybody understands that. And if you do that and everybody's part of that success or part of that failure, but that failure is also an opportunity to learn. And you have to be secure enough to take that feedback and to have an environment that's transparent enough so that the people are comfortable, you know, giving you that feedback as well. Absolutely. I, I did want to mention something about that because that was very interesting from my personal experience dealing with the um, never coming to my uh, my team or my supervisors with a problem without also providing a solution. Because that is something that I learned very quickly in the Marine Corps. So I naturally brought that over and it has helped me a ton. But I, I started to see a problem and I, and I noticed it after reading, I forget the author of it, but The 48 Laws of Power. Have you read that book? No, I haven't, but I'm I'm sure I probably understand some of the basics. Absolutely. And so basically, I I learned from the first law that they described in that book. And it was, and and I'm paraphrasing, but it's never step on the toes of your master. And Mm -hmm. so what I had noticed going into my first job was that I would never present a problem to my immediate supervisor without also letting them know how I'm going about solving that issue. And I tried something as soon as I read that and and I sat and I thought about it. So I I chose one problem or issue that I had that I was sincerely solving on my own with what I thought was the best course of action, but I didn't present that. So I just brought that problem up to my supervisor and said, "I'm, I'm really looking for a few ways to attack this what are your thoughts? And what I learned is that I was not even giving my supervisor a chance to lead because I was always the very direct person in those one-on-ones with my, my supervisor at that time where I told them exactly what I was going through and exactly how I was solving it. And I didn't even give that chance for them to lead me. And I found that my supervisor had many more connections than I did, which obviously they would. They were at that company much longer than I, than I was. And they thought of things that I would not have thought of. So I, I think that that's an interesting story to give to the listeners because although my my rule is always to have a solution because you're absolutely right. If you're just explaining problems all the time, then that's more whining than anything. But it, it's also important to if you have a, a supervisor that maybe sits back whenever you're presenting your solution and they don't provide their own input, you might need to let them lead you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where, you know, empowering people is, is, is so important. You know, as a, as a leader, uh, you're not expected to have all the answers. I, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. that maybe some of us have watched too many movies, you know, where they come up and say, okay, you know, come a captain, general commander, whatever we're doing, even very decisively issues an order and everybody, you know, cheers and charges straight ahead. But, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. Yes. Or, to, or to ask someone else, what do you think? Or, or, or what, what do you recommend? Because by getting that feedback, you're getting as much information as you can and you have a more informed decision. And at the same time, I think that your team respects you for 
letting them be part of the process. And as you know, if you're part of the process, that's going to give you more buy-in. Exactly. You're going to have less strife and discontent along the way because uh, they're going to understand what's going on and, and be part of the process. So they're, they're part of the mission. They're part of the success or the failure, but they, they move forward and execute together as a unit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the last leadership question that I want to um, ask you your thoughts about is um, something that I, I think is very important. And it's one of the main reasons why I, I wrote my book. And it, it kind of goes to the question of our leaders born or made, but I tried to come at that at a different angle. And so one of the main reasons why I wrote my book is because I was noticing that on the civilian side of things, except for the people that went and played sports and were a part of teams, if, if they weren't a part of teams or, or student organizations and they just went through, through college or they went through their apprenticeships and they went into the workforce, years after a couple of promotions, they were promoted to a supervisor role. And that is when they start buying leadership books. That's when they start going to leadership conferences. And that's when they start taking leadership seriously. And once I saw that, that blew my mind because we both know that is the exact opposite oh. in the military. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, you're, you're spot on, Chris, man. You hit, the, uh, you hit the proverbial nail on the head on that one, baby. <laughs> Thank you. And so that's why I think it's, it's vital to start as early as possible. And for me, starting at the college level is where we need to start to fix this problem. And I can talk about this for days, but I'll turn it over to you to ask your thoughts on that topic. And then also another question, when do you think that we should start? Well, I mean, Chris, I mean, I think you've hit again, right on the, uh, you know, the leadership industry, as you know, is a, it's a billion dollar industry. Personally, mm-hmm. I had a, it's not very effective. I mean, I, I think you've probably seen the statistics. They estimate that what only 10 to 15% of people that participate in leadership training uh, actually change their behavior. And sure. I, I think, I think that is really uh, optimistic, but uh, you know, and you know, our, to your question, are leaders born or made? I mean, I think, you know, you could be, you know, the same question could be asked about athletes. Now in your DNA, you're going to have certain, predispositions, certain personality traits or whatever. But if you were just simply born as a leader, I mean, you know how you have the blue, was it, was it the blue for the boy and the pink for the girl? Sure. I think that's the right. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe you have a, maybe if, if, if they're born a leader, you give them a little green tag too and say, <laughs> this is a leader. Okay. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can have certain, you know, personality traits that are going to help you along the way. But leadership is, is learned by being other, around other leaders, by observing them, working with them, and having the responsibility, as if you have done, of leading a team, a squad, or a or company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to go to a class where the basics or fundamentals are taught, but you never, you never really develop until you're out there. For example, you know, I played a lot of sports. I, you know, I threw a football a lot. You can go to a course and say, okay, this is how you throw a football. But the mm-hmm. only way that you're going to learn how to do it is by practicing it day in and day out and being around other people. They're going to help make you, you better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even at the, at the Naval Academy, I was talking with my classmates the other day and I asked him a question and he said, 
that's a good one, Fred. Uh, I don't remember any, I don't remember one leadership course. I'm sure I took a couple, sure. but I, there's no leadership course that really stood out to me. But uh, it, to me, it was the leadership I learned was, was not based on a course or a seminar, but through a continuum, an environment which emphasized core principles and, and, and values and developed those competencies within me to help set the stage for leadership development opportunities. So it has to be something that's experienced and something that is, is learned over time, but it has to be in a system and a culture where those principles and values are practiced and reinforced. Otherwise, you're not going to get there. And the other problem that people have is you have to make an assessment of an individual's leadership skills before you even put them in a leadership yes. position. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Just be, and just be, just I don't, because I don't so- want to cut you off too much right now, but um, it, it drives me crazy when go, go ahead. Uh, the, the, the skills that uh, a person has that makes them successful as an individual contributor is used to determine if they're going to be a good leader. And that makes no sense to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it's just like, you know, look at the distinction between managers and leaders. Well, Managers do things. Leaders inspire people. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a, a leader may not be a good manager, and a manager may not be a good leader, and that's where it's up to the organization to put the right person in place, but at the same time to develop the right people. And I think you need to look at the difference between leadership training and management training and the difference between leader training and leader development. Mm-hmm. I, I submit that you need to I, try to identify leaders earlier on and make a concerted effort to develop that person's leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that leader, okay, by virtue of his, her actions in that organization and with the team will then imbue those same values and principles on the squad, on the company, on the unit. And I think that's how leadership gets done. I mean, for example, Chris, you go to a speech mm-hmm. and let's say it could be about anything, but you're, you're inspired. You go, Wow. That was a great speech mm-hmm. and you're excited. Well, how long does that excitement level last? And not too long. It kind of wears off after a while. I mean, I'm not as excited about the Super Bowl as I was, you know, several days ago. Sure. But ha- having said that, you go from that conference, that course, and unless, and really the, the key determination is what do you do the other 99% of the time? Mm-hmm. Are you executing and practicing and reinforcing those core principles and values. And you have a system in place and a process in place that reinforces that, but also uh, adapts and makes the necessary adjustments. Because if you don't, you're never going to have effective leadership training. Yep, absolutely. And back to the question that started this conversation uh, on leaders being born or made, if there was any way that I could erase the phrase natural born leader, I would erase oh. that in, a, in an instant because not only is that not accurate, which is slightly frustrating, but what it does to the people that are not looked at as natural born leaders, that, that frustrates me the most because I've seen it on their faces when there's a group of people and, and they all have similar levels of potential, but one person might have they might just have had the opportunities that others have not been afforded to develop some of their leadership skills. So they're a little bit more 
outspoken or whenever they see a gap, they, they take charge and um, they're looked at as the quote unquote natural leaders. And the other people that feel like they're not natural leaders, the feeling that they have whenever that is spoken about in that, in that room, it kills me because there's no reason why they should feel like they cannot attain that level of leadership or that they don't have something in them naturally. And it drives me crazy. And, and putting someone in a so-called leadership position who doesn't have the, the attendant qualities is both doing the organization a disservice and that person. Mm-hmm. And, and by the same tokens, sometimes actually what happens a lot, and you've probably seen this as well, you know, you, you put a person in a leadership position, this person doesn't really have the skill set or what to do. And then they make the mistake of trying to emulate others. Yes. I think each person has to understand everybody has their own leadership style. Mm-hmm. Every person, you have a different leadership style than I do. And the person that you walk down and, 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 and see on the street is going to have a different leadership style. Sure. So you have to be true to yourself and over time, understand, identify what works for you and what doesn't work because you, you, you can't, you have to be true to yourself and you have, and if, and if there's areas that you're lacking in that you, you need to develop those. And if you can't, then you come up with coping strategies and work around it. But the last thing you should try to do is to be something you're not, because that's going to come across as, as fake and mm-hmm. people are going to, you know, you're not going to have that strength of conviction and that persona in you because they're going to see through it right away. You know that. Absolutely. And so I think this has been a fantastic conversation. Before I get into the the last questions, because at the end of every podcast, I like to ask little short this or that questions just to uh, to, to get some interesting answers from, from our guests. Do you have anything else that you would like to leave with the listeners? I would say... I like the phrase, the expression, today is a tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. <laughs> and, 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 and let's not say worry, but it's about the future. And I would ask the listener, are you satisfied? Are you happy in what you're doing? Do you, do you have any goals? Do you have any, you know, ideas or, you know, where do you want to be in five years? And if they're not, and there's something that they want to do, then they're going to have to get in that action mode and come up with a plan and a process and have the discipline to follow through because eventually that time is going to get here. And there's nothing worse, Chris, than looking back and saying, what if, or I wish I had done that. So I would say to any listener out there, if you have any doubts, okay, take, you know, there's a leap of faith with everything that you do. Take that first step, then another, get yourself in an action mode and have the courage and the discipline and the strength of conviction to go out there and get it done and do what's best for you and for those around you and for your family. I think that is fantastic advice because uh, having regrets about something you did not do, that is the absolute worst. Um, oh, it is. It's the worst. You're right. <laughs> it's the worst. So on to our quick little short uh, this or that questions. So Fred, are you an early bird or a night owl? Night owl. Night owl. All right. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Dogs or cats? Cats. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Steelers or Rams? 
Steelers. <laughs> uh, what makes you smile the most whenever you're thinking about these things? In the uh, 1971 Army-Navy game, being uh, named the Chevrolet MVP of the game, um, being inducted into the Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame, thinking about the feeling after publishing your first book or the thinking about the feeling after selling your first company? I would say none of them. Okay. Because I don't, I don't like to look back. Okay. It's kind of a, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time talking about this or that. What I like to talk about is what gives me a smile mm -hmm. is first of all, is seeing someone in my family happy. You know, my wife, you know, my son's uh, motivated and encouraged and, being successful and also what makes me smile is whenever i see someone that has come up to me and it's happened numerous times says fred i really loved your book i got some good advice out of it or thank you for talking to my son that really helped mm -hmm. or this has made a big difference in our lives because that's what it's all about at the, at the end of the day chris it's about making a difference and the only way to make a difference is by influencing other people I think that's a fantastic mindset to have and that's good for the listeners to hear. So last question, looking forward then December 12th, 2020, who ends up with the W in the Navy army game that day? You know, if, if I knew for sure, I, I certainly wouldn't tell you and I would put a <laughs> lot of money on it, but I'm not a betting man. I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, Na it's going to be Navy. Mm -hmm. uh, however, there are some caveats to that you have to look at history. Okay. And you have to look at what's going on. If you look at where Army has been, everybody thought this last year was going to be a great year for them because they did so well the year before, mm -hmm. were ranked nationally, et cetera. Well, they had a tough season. And, you know, they've lost the Navy now a couple of years in a row where before they had reversed that trend. Mm -hmm. So it's really going to depend on the, 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 the talent on each squad. Uh, okay. Now, I... I my money, my heart, my soul would be on, on Navy. Sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, may the best team and the, and the best unit win because, you know, we're all brothers in arms and this is probably the only game in the country where the people down on the field are, are willing to give their lives for the spectators. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so for us, it's about going out there and, and doing your best and, you know, whoever wins, wins but at the end of the day we're going on to something bigger and greater than just a football game absolutely and as long as everybody is able to leave that field healthy i think that that's a good game mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right all right fred thank you so much for being on the podcast i i enjoyed it because surprisingly uh, <laughs> or not so surprisingly this is uh, my favorite topic if any of the listeners want to drop you a note and, and just say that uh, they appreciated something you said or, or they want to ask you another question how can they get in touch with you my book is called it starts with you mm -hmm. and my website is it starts with you.net so it starts with you.net and they can go on the website and there's a link for contact uh, I'm also on all the various social media platforms you know chris you probably heard as you probably know darwin didn't say that the strong survive he said those who adapt survive so Absolutely. i grudgingly had to go along and get <laughs> on the social media bandwagon so you know i fred stuvik is out there on twitter and all these other places uh, so you can get a hold of me there but i've really enjoyed this 
Chris, quite a bit. It's uh, I've done dozens of these podcasts. This is probably the most unique and unscripted one I've ever had because I, you know, I, I had no idea what the questions were going to be, and if I came a, across a little diffident or maybe you know wasn't as crisp and clear as my answers, I I apologize for that, and I'll certainly try to do better next time, sir. No, uh, you did fantastic. And that is something that I'd like to try to do more of is is have a conversation with people because I think the same way that when we give presentations or anybody does, it's really easy to remember words and to regurgitate them. But you really get to you really get a sense of how much a person knows or, or, or the depth of their character when there are off the cuff questions and you get into an actual conversation with somebody. So um, not only do I think you did incredible there and I'm flattered by your, your compliment, but there's a lot of good knowledge in this podcast. And I look forward to bugging you and uh, asking you to come on <laughs> my podcast in the future multiple times. Thank you very much, Chris. And I wish you and your family all the best and have a uh, great weekend and uh, all the best to you and yours in 2020, sir. You too. Thank you, sir. So that is the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Anytime that I get the chance to talk about leadership with someone, I genuinely have a great time and this was no different. And I think you guys could probably hear that in my voice. Uh, I really love the part where we talked about being self-secure because setting apart our ego or setting aside our ego is something that's very important in my mind. And managing our ego is such a big part of leadership for me that I really love that we got a chance a chance to expand on that topic. So if you're curious or you think you want to ask Fred a few questions or if you want to contact Fred, feel free to visit his website to learn more. And if you're interested in more content about being a better professional or a better leader, you can head over to chris-molina.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. You can scroll to the bottom and then click on the I Want Free Leadership sent straight to my inbox. If you fill that out, then you'll sign up for my email list. And I send out free content straight to you on a weekly basis about leadership and motivation. And you can unsubscribe anytime if you end up finding out that it's just not for you or you don't have time to read it. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. There, you'll be able to access all of my articles that I write on LinkedIn about leadership and motivation and self-help. And if you're interested in reading my first book, which is titled I'm in a Leadership Role, Now What? You can find it anywhere books are sold. Most people find it on Amazon or um, Barnes and Nobles, but you can even find it in your local libraries or your local bookstores. So if you prefer giving your business to local bookstores, you can go and ask them to order it for you and they can order it very easily. And lastly, I'd like to ask just one favor. If you have a few minutes, I would love to hear your feedback. You can leave a review about the podcast on whatever platform you're listening right now, or you can send me an email. My email address is chris at chris-molina.com. So that's C-H-R-I-S at C-H-R-I-S-M-O-L-I-N-A.com. And if you've read my book already, I would love to hear your feedback and your reviews um, on that as well. And you can email me there or you can post a review on Amazon. So until next time, remember that it's never too early or too late to start your leadership journey or to start investing in yourself through professional development. Have a great day, guys.